0: this is wesley huff welcome to the ac podcast today i'm joined by andy and steve and we're going to be talking about the olympics the olympic opening ceremony is going to be on friday and i just thought i'd I'd open up with one of my favorite stories Uh, i looked it up it's i thought it was the olympics it's actually not the olympics but it does have to do with WADA and drug testing there was a uh a basketball player from Ohio who was trying to skirt the the WADA drug testing. I won't go into the details, but he managed to get his girlfriend's urine into where he needed it to be for the, uh, the sample that WADA was taking. And they came back and they said, you know what? The good news is you're not doping. The bad news is... You're very pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, that is so
1: classic, man. Talk about like you, there's no talking your way out of that one.
0: I I done messed up. Uh,
1: like,
2: yeah. how, and how how did, yeah.
0: yeah? There's no getting around that one. You're pretty much caught at yeah. that point.
2: And I and I have to wonder, right? What was that conversation like with your girlfriend? Hey, uh, I've got this drug test coming up.
1: Or what about this conversation? I got good news for you and bad news. Bad news is I'm not competing. Good news is you're pregnant. <laughs> like,
0: clearly they didn't know. You, you know what? It's, it's just uh, I feel like there's no good outcome there, uh, other than I mean, obviously, uh, a baby is 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 joyous and uh, a reason to celebrate. Maybe finding out that way. Because it pretty much implicates you that you were doping. Because otherwise, why would you have used your girlfriend's uh, urine? But not only that, he was trying to get on the Bosnian national team. Um, So it's not like he was trying to get, you know, play for his home country. He was trying to kind of get around not being the best player anyways. um, By, you know, playing for another country who a family member happened to have... Uh, citizenship of so there's there's lots going on there classic yeah while we're on that note why don't we talk about you know there are obviously moments in thinking back on on previous olympics they're every four years but we've had a few of those in our lifetime uh andy maybe you've had more than i have but, (laughs) but you know what come on man um <laughs> uh what what are some of your favorite Olympic moments that when you think back on some of those some of those big games that that you can remember?
2: Yeah, uh, for me, the nineteen eighty eight Seoul Olympics was really memorable. I was in grade three at the time, and this was a really huge deal because um, not only you know was Korea considered one of the poorest countries, you know, around the time of the Korean War and things like that. So this was a huge economic achievement. But also it was a huge achievement in terms of diplomacy. And North Korea was actually quite nervous about the fact that China and Soviet Union at the time would come to the Olympics in South Korea. And so there have been a lot of terrorist activities leading up to that to prevent it from happening. Um, and so we heard about... For example, in 1987, one year before the Seoul Olympics, uh, this one spy uh, terrorist sent by North Korea blew up uh, a a Korean airline flight, killing over 150 people. And and so those were really tense times, but I remember feeling really proud. Wow, like the Olympics, Summer Olympics is happening in my country. So that was a really memorable one.
1: I don't necessarily have a memorable uh, Olympics, I don't think. Although, you know, as you were talking Steve, it, it reminded me that I guess most of my memories are just all the controversies. Uh, and so I guess it shouldn't surprise us that there's plenty of controversy with regards to this Olympics. It seems as though there's controversy every Olympics. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's right.
1: So I for I guess for me, you know, it's often, you know, the runners and you know these records that that get broken and then, you know, you'll find out sometimes, uh, you know that that somebody was using some performance-enhancing drug.
0: Even even that one you mentioned, Steve. That was the famous uh, Ben Johnson race, right? Ben Johnson ran right. for Canada. He he won the hundred meters in nine seven nine seconds, and then tested positive for the anabolic steroid stenazinol afterwards. It was this big blow up, and uh, he he right. fought back, and there were all sorts of things. Now it, it is. I'm I'm a bit. I'm excited for this podcast, if for no other reason than I'm a track nerd. I, uh,
2: <laughs> I, I, com- I was gonna say, man, this guy knows exactly what Ben Johnson took. I mean, it's a word that you forget as soon as you hear it, but he knows what it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, I competed all throughout high school. Uh, I competed uh, varsity for York University. Uh, I was privileged to be part of the the national university gold medal winning four by two hundred meter relay team, um, and wow. so I just. I, I this is my I follow virtually no sports but track and field Re- remind me not to race you
2: <laughs> you know what you were even in a movie too weren't you on I was some kind of track and field related stuff
0: I I actually ran in the 1950 Rome Olympics um believe it or not <laughs> in a movie um but yeah yeah I was I had a short-lived Bollywood career and uh played uh, <laughs> I played an American athlete named Earl Young as a background special skills Actor in a, a movie about a, a an athlete from India named Milka Singh, but yeah. So I okay, hold on. Oh wait, hold on. That was that all true, or did you just make no, that? No, that's that's a hundred percent true.
1: Okay, and I wish listeners, I wish you could see the joy on Wesley's faces as we get deeper into this. Like there, there is serious. There's a, there is some excitement that is just bubbling out at this point. You truly are
0: excited about this podcast. I I am very little sort of affinity for any sports but track and field is definitely one that, that gets me going um your full nerd comes out it's, it, yeah a hundred percent and in terms of like those those um, memories I mean I remember very definitively when Usain Bolt ran uh, 969 at the 2008 Uh, Olympic Games. That was like, he ran 969 for the 100, 19.30 for the 200, and then Jamaica set the world record at 37.10 in the relay. And that was just like, Bolt just seemed crazy unstoppable. In fact, one of my claims to fame is that my 100-meter personal best is exactly one second off of Usain Bolt. I ran 10.58, and he ran 9.58. So... If you are not familiar with track, that's like, that seems like one second, that's nothing, right? That's the right there. But if you know anything about track, that's like not even in the frame of the camera.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? When you're dealing with seconds, you know, in milliseconds and how incredibly difficult it is to make those sorts of gains
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: in, in these races is incredible. I do remember that race as well, Wes. And one of the things that was just so interesting is it's always interesting to see a competitor that's both cocky and can deliver. Now, maybe you disagree, but Bolt always came across quite, quite cocky to me, or, or you could say very confident, but yet when that person that's very
0: confident can deliver, it's really quite something, isn't it? Well, and he pretty much single-handedly saved the sport of sprinting over his career because not a lot of people follow track and field in general, but there were so many performance-enhancing drug scandals, I mean, even just that that, uh, 1988 race. Of all of the individuals in that final, I think there were eight, seven tested positive Subsequently after wow. the games. So it's and, and that's not unusual. There's just so it's a proliferation in the Olympic professional sport, particularly in track and field. And so there was scandal after scandal. And I think a lot of people were really disenfranchised. And then Bolt came around. Not only is he fast, but he's really fun to watch. He just, you know, played to the camera and made all sorts of jokes and made other professional athletes look like children by beating them. Well, I'll just say, would you call that showmanship or would you call that, would you say that he's cocky? You got to be a little bit cocky to be that good. The thing is, I think if you look at anybody at the top of their sport, you know, you're talking Michael Jordan, you're talking Michael Phelps. Wow, there's a lot of Michaels now that I think about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Usain Bolt, like they all have a little bit of swagger that kind of borders on like, okay, you're you're a little bit full of yourself but i wonder if you have to be to get to that level you kind of have to tune everything out and think you're the best in order to be that high on the totem pole you know what i mean it's uh yeah it's a level that is is very hard to get and i guess confidence is the work you could use but do you know what's interesting about this is uh is interestingly
1: enough this weekend is track provincials and so my son is is competing in in provincials uh, this weekend and he last night we he was uh, i could see that he was deep in thought and i'm like Tristan where where are you what's going on and he's like i'm thinking about the race mm. you know and <laughs> and he's not happy about this because he he was being honest and saying I'm, i I don't want to lose right and and so it is interesting isn't it you can get in your own head and you can start to get so concerned about losing that that it really affects you negatively. So you can't help but think, yeah, you're right. Top athletes do have to have a bit of that swagger where where they're not being caught in their own self doubt that they're like, No, I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna I'm gonna win sort of mm-hmm. mentality, right? That, that that's 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 actually necessary to
0: get outside your head, if you will. Yeah, there's a huge mental component.
2: Yeah, on a slight tangent, um, I've been on a bit of a Marvel binge lately, and so, whenever I see guys like you "Bolt," it just always reminds me of Iron Man, Rodney Stark. You know, like he's just full, so full of himself and caught Tony Stark.
0: But there is Rodney Stark's a historian, right? Tony,
2: sorry, that's right, Tony Stark. I correct. I stand corrected.
1: Don't you dare cut that out. <laughs>
2: I
0: mean, everybody should go look up Rodney Stark, too, but we're talking about Tony Stark.
1: That's right. We have to, Sorry. Leave, we have to leave all Steve's uh, mistakes in there because there's not many. Makes,
0: us, <laughs> makes the rest of us feel better inside. But, but there is a mental component to this, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, even talking about this Olympic Games, I mean... There are the performance-enhancing drug controversies for sure. There have already been a handful of athletes who have been disqualified from, from heading over to Tokyo. But amongst that, Japan announced early in July that due to their current COVID-19 cases, and particularly with the proliferation of the Delta variant, they will not be allowing spectators at any of the venues. Now that, that really is unusual.
1: Now, just to temper that, from what I understand, from what I was reading, and it is difficult to keep track of all this, it sounds like there are no spectators at any of the Tokyo games, but the games outside the city of Tokyo, there will be 50% capacity. Oh, okay. That's, a, that's right. a good was, qualification. And I was surprised to see that Fukushima was a venue. Hmm given that there is a nuclear fallout there. Yeah. um, That's where the records are going to be made. Speaking of Marvel comics, yeah, maybe there's a superhero in the making here. I don't know.
2: You know, it's interesting. Uh, In Fukushima, actually, you will see Geiger counters placed throughout the city. And so it it always tells you where it's at. And um, over the last... Number of years, it has been below the sort of the safety threshold, and so they're actually very concerned about the nuclear fallout, and so they they're taking all the precautions. But yeah, you kind of have to wonder, right? Because all that I re- remember from and whenever I hear that Fukushima, it's just a symbol of nuclear disaster now, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, okay, what kind well, of mutation are we gonna get out
1: of this? Speaking of disaster, I, I don't know about you guys, but I can't help but feel bad for Japan. Like I'm thinking to myself, as I'm watching all this, you can't help but think that, that the leaders in Japan that have been working to put this on are thinking, dear Lord, what have we done? Yeah. How can we get out of this as quick as possible? I can't wait for the Olympics to be over. I mean, honestly, having already, as you mentioned, Wes, have you know kicked this down the road a year, and now they've got this delta variant they're dealing with as we've been reading about the olympics it's not been going well like like as you mentioned they they they're in a state of emergency they've had to to not have spectators there's even talk that it could get canceled
2: last minute like, yeah, you know.
1: last minute i i have <laughs> planned a conference okay for you know a couple thousand, you know a thousand people and you're like that's stressful enough i can't even imagine what these these poor, you know, uh, leaders are experiencing right now as they're yeah. trying to prep for this.
2: Yeah, I was reading that if the Tokyo Olympics were to be canceled, um, the loss, the financial loss that the government of Japan is looking at is sixteen point, almost sixteen point five billion dollars. So, you can imagine why the government would want to push forward with this, even in the state of emergency. Because, yeah. I mean, Japan's economy, as it is, has been struggling over the last few decades. And so, for this to happen, it'd be really They've been in
1: a perma recession. Yeah. Like, if you follow their financials. And so, you could imagine, Steve, like, Steve, they're thinking, hey, this could be a good boost to our economy. And normally, people want the Olympics because it's going to help with tourism but they there has been a complete ban on international attendees
0: and even the athletes themselves um, I I know some people from my track days who are in the the Canada team and a buddy of mine who's on the the 400 4 by 100 meter relay he was saying that he was made to download an app on his phone that tracks where he's going and he has to leave 48 hours after his last event. He's not allowed to stay in the country more than 48 hours after his last event. so you can imagine, Uh, that's, that's a different games for sure. Just to, to get into this, one of the reasons other than, you know, all of the controversy that we, we want to talk about are some of the worldview implications that I think are, are playing out in this games, because one of the unprecedented things in this games are, uh, we have a, a number of firsts. There's the, the first transgender athlete who's competing at the Olympics, uh, an individual named Laurel Hubbard. And that has already garnered a lot of attention. And the other thing that's happening is amidst that, amidst a a genetic male who's transitioned to being a female being allowed to compete, there's also this interesting factor that's actually been playing out over the last decade of regulating testosterone levels in female athletes. Um, This started a number of years ago. There was an athlete from South Africa, Castor Semenya who was intersex. So she was born with uh, XY chromosomes, but had internal testes, which is, is a genetic condition. It's very, very unusual, but she naturally produces higher testosterone levels. And at that point, the, uh, the doctors at her birth said she was more female than male, even with the XY chromosomes because of, of her condition. And so she's competed and that's, gone, that's, that's had a lot of controversy with it, but that's led to testosterone regulation. And there are two athletes, Christine Mumba and uh, Beatrix Masalingi, who are two 18-year-old sprinters who are genetically female, so they have XX chromosomes, but they have naturally elevated levels of testosterone, and they were banned from running the 400. Now, they weren't banned from running the 200, which I really don't understand. Because if you have high testosterone, it should affect both the 400 and the 200. But I think what this shows is, you know, there's there's a, uh, there's a confusion as to, you know, how do these biological components really play out? You know, you have an individual who competed, actually, a- a- as a male, set... Uh, the New Zealand junior records as a male in 1988 for the uh, M105 division in Olympic lifting and is now competing uh, in the female division and is breaking records uh, as, as a, a, a quote-unquote female. So there's, there's this interesting dynamic. You know, in one sense, the biological means a lot, and so we have to regulate it. And in another sense, the biological is actually—it's it, it's what this individual feels— what do you guys think of that?
1: Well, one thing that that caught my attention was I, as I've been reading more into this, I'm realizing that it's uh, a lot more complicated than I had first understood it to be. That you know, I think a lot of people, when you first start to, I guess, read into this, you, you would assume that this is just a political issue, but. It, but it, but in many ways this this came about because as these athletes that you mentioned, Wes, their gains were so incredible that they were asked to undergo a uh, a sex test from from what I was reading that they're like we we want to figure out how it is that you are producing the sorts of gains right because because in the sports they're constantly checking for doping. And so, right, so, so this is a weird moment, isn't it, where we're seeing testosterone levels as a as being viewed as a form of doping. You know, you've got these women who are genetically producing naturally more testosterone than other women, and that's and that's being viewed as as a form of doping, if you will, which, uh, like, I find very very weird cuz let me just make one more statement I'll throw it back to you guys and it and it's just this I mean isn't the olympics actually yeah yes one part tenacity but a whole lot of genetic lottery winning i mean you think of usain bolt and others i mean they won the genetic lottery and yes they've got the tenacity but come on let's be honest they were made for you when you watch these people they were made for the sports they're in i mean look at michael phelps i mean the guy was crafted for swimming
2: and in fact that was one of the um issues that i've been studying uh, when you start looking into the ethics of human enhancement and all of that, you will hear a whole lot about sports precisely because of this, right? Yeah, that's right. Like Michael Phelps, like genetically, right? The guy's a, not, not in a negative way. Like he he's a monster in the sense of like he's he's built for this. Like he's got webs in his fingers that are a little longer than what we would have, right? Like, I mean, the guy is made for this and his the length of his arms and everything. And so the question arises, you know, at what point is this something that you are doing, or at, at what point is this about your equipment? So think about cyclists, or there have been a lot of uh, controversy about you. Know, how much of this is the athlete, and how much of this is the bike? Because you can uh, modify and enhance your bicycle so that you can go faster. Um, So then at some point, you have to kind of standardize the bicycles or have some kind of um, uh, criteria that the bicycles have to pass in order for it to be used in a standardized way. But that's arbitrary in a lot of...
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there are some interesting qualifications because I I did see that, you know, these athletes have been dominating their particular fields in these particular years but I was surprised at the times because the the two athletes that are are undergoing regulation for their testosterone levels um Missilingi ran 49.53 for the the 400 meter well the the women's 400 meter world record is 47.60 which is almost two seconds faster that's huge so uh, it, it brings up a, 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 just a few questions for me because they are winning, and actually, that um, um, that record was was set recently by uh, Cheyenne Miller um and with the eight hundred meter, with the the, the issue with Castro Semenya being intersex. Actually, the, in in Rio in twenty sixteen, the everyone on the podium for the women's eight hundred meter was intersex, which is is very unusual, but still. Castor Semenya won the Olympic 800 meter in 2016 at, at one minute, 55 seconds, 28 milliseconds. Well, the world record is, is still faster than that by almost three seconds. Now, it was set in the 80s by a Soviet runner. And there are lots of questions about, you know, doping with the Soviets in the 80s. But it, it just strikes me as as unusual that th- they're pressing this as hard when these individuals aren't smashing records. In fact, they're, they're not breaking the record. So I thought that was unusual. But w- with what you were talking about, uh, Andy, you might not know this, but there's actually been a lot of controversy about equipment, particularly in track and field recently, because Nike has been developing shoes and track spikes that have recently been banned, because they are deemed to have too much of an advantage. There was a, a series of of spikes uh, that they produced for uh, sprinters and mid-distance runners. They almost had like a little bit of a, a spring underneath. Um, and so it's opened up lots of questions about, okay, what is an advantage? Because the technology in the track has improved. You know, when I, I mentioned in that Bollywood movie that I participated in, when those athletes were actually running in real life, they were running on cinder and gravel. Well, now you run on rubber... You run on mondo rubber, which actually gives you back more power when you run, and there's there's been lots of you know developments in training and nutrition and supplementation, and technology, and so I guess it it begs the question, what is performance enhancement at that level?
1: I think, by the way, with the Nike shoes, wasn't it their pursuit to to help break the four minute mile that was leading to some of these shoe enhancements yeah. right which, but what which, which is interesting cuz these athletes are constantly looking for any edge that they can get on on a competitor and one of the things that I'm always reminded of particularly with the Olympics is the lengths that they'll go to in including enhancing their bodies in any you know which is is, is just really interesting the lengths they'll go right to to win but it does bring this question back like cuz you can sense That the Olympic board is trying to create some sort of level playing ground that these athletes can compete under. But yet you can't do that completely. Mm -hmm. I mean, because as you know, competing in track, that even the weather is significant to how fast you're going to run, depending upon how hot it is outside. And if the wind is blowing, and which direction is the wind blowing? Yeah. Right. I mean, because when we're talking about these these tide of margins, even the weather is is an enhancement.
0: Yeah. And there are regulations on wind speed at a tailwind. If it's over a certain percentage, even if you break a record, it's not counted. There's a a runner from the U.S. um, named Justin Gatlin, who was uh, he's controversial in of itself because he served a a ban for performance enhancing drugs and then came back and actually ran faster. So there's a, a conundrum there. But during this like, <laughs> during this period where he was banned, I think it was in Japan. It was this hilarious thing where uh, they put all these fans behind him and fans down the track and then made him run and he broke the world record. It, it was kind of comical, but because obviously it was like a, a six factor, you know, wind advantage where he's literally just been tornado blown down the track. Um, <laughs> but uh, but. That being said, that's what I need when I run. (laughs) It's like when you run downhill and there's a tailwind and you're like, wow, I'm really fast.
1: (laughs) Let me ask you a question, Wes. Like when you were in track and you're competing, did you feel that temptation to want to use any advantage possible? Did you ever feel a temptation towards enhancement?
0: Yes. If I'm being totally honest, the thing is you're losing by fractions. When I was competing indoor in university, uh, I was I was injured I was throughout university I had a, a number of um, shoulder injuries and I, I pulled my hamstring twice so I was kind of nursing that through my university years but the best I did in university was I ran seven flat for a 60 meter so indoor in Canada is different than outdoor you actually have different length events instead of a 100 you run a 60 meter which is basically just you start and then the race is over um, you actually run into the wall at the end they put mats on the wall. <laughs> Now, I knew guys who basically had to come to the decision where they had to factor in the fact that they were losing by such a small margin and they were at the peak of their career. What do you do when the difference between running 10 flat and 100 meter and running 10.9 or 10.8 is, you know, an injection of a chemical? Um, And oftentimes, an injection of of a chemical that you could potentially get away with. You know, the the testing parameters are stringent, but they're not testing for everything because of expense. And they're really only testing randomly, and they're only testing the top guys. Most of the time. I mean, I knew people who were randomized tested, random tested, but there's a real dilemma. And I, in one sense, felt... Uh, a little bit of sympathy towards athletes who got caught because there is so much pressure. Nobody wants to watch Usain Bolt run fast, but not super, super fast, right? Uh, Nobody wants to watch an Olympics where everybody is, you know, okay, those are decent times. People want to see records broken. They want to see subhuman times and lengths and, you know, that kind of stuff
1: if these athletes are that drawn to enhancement uh could this and this has been the big question right could this draw athletes to change their gender as as an advantage uh is is the is the concern right so what so what the regulating body is doing from what i understand is saying well if you change your gender now they're trying to put restrictions on Actually, Because this is weird, isn't it? Now you actually have to dope.
2: One thing that I find a little odd in all of this is, you now, if you listen to the LGBTQ activists and lobbyists and whatnot, their mantra has always been, like, I was born this way, right? Uh, this is how I naturally am, and so on and so forth. And yet I read that article that you sent me, Wes, about those Namibian sprinters, Christine and Beatrice Missoingi they are naturally producing high levels of testosterone and yet they are not able to compete because of this regulation that's put in place
0: mm-hmm. so
2: I kind of have to kind of look at that inconsistency and kind of scratch my head what about these women who are born this way why are they not good enough to compete in women's sports?
1: it makes you wonder if if this if it continues down this this road, will there be a distinction in gender in, in the end, or or will it just be a matter of testing uh, according to what level of testosterone is in your blood and and that's what it needs to be regulated to compete at? I mean, it, it's it's quite something because interestingly enough, this is more than just gender, though. Yeah, there are certain groups of people that are genetically predisposed to you know and of course this isn't always the case because you can have this in different areas but certain areas tend to have a genetic predisposition to be excellent at certain things the one that always comes to my mind is in Nepal there are people groups in the Himalayas that are amazing mountain climbers because their blood carries a lot of oxygen and I, and I've seen these people at work in the mountains and the amount of weight they're able to carry as well is truly staggering in the Himalayas. I mean so it's and then we also see this of course with people groups that are that tend to to be fast runners or long runners or or you know the list goes on. But that, I mean that shouldn't surprise us, should it?
2: I mean people are living organisms and living organisms adapt to the environment and they change, right? And so then you have to wonder at what point You know, at an event like the Olympics is one kind of adaptation just too advantageous, right, for competing with other people. So there is a sense of, you know, that that sort of conformity that is sought. You know, Um, I remember reading this one article written by this philosophy professor, Michael Hauskeller, where he argues, yeah, like... isn't there something good about diversity? So why is it that, because here's the problem with human enhancement, right? Everybody yep. wants to, if you push it to its logical end, what's going to happen is it's going to be a monochromatic world because everybody's is going to compete at the, you know, or everybody's going to be at the nth degree of bone strength or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a bit of a problem.
1: Well, it's interesting, by the way, on that note that, again, going back to that trying to find any advantage possible, and I'm sure, Wes, you, you're you aware of this, that a lot of athletes train in Colorado, and and the reason is because it's higher altitude. You have to take in more oxygen, and it's harder, so that when you go and compete at sea level or whatever, you're going to have a slight advantage. I mean, had you, had you heard about this, Wes?
0: Yeah, and there are artificial ways to recreate that. I didn't know anybody personally, but uh, I, I knew that if you slept in a hyperbaric chamber, you could increase your blood oxygen level, or that's what blood doping is. Blood doping, taking your own blood out and then uh, putting it into yourself right before competing, uh, which increases the amount of of your blood cell count, allows you to have more endurance. Um, there are drugs you can take. Uh, the one that comes to mind is called EPO um, that, that sort of artificially do this. But then there are ways you can sort of recreate that, whether that's, you know, training or living above sea level, whether that's sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber. But there are are like well, advantages you can sort of manipulate your body into if that's the right way of putting it.
1: Well, one of the ones that we're the most familiar with is lifting weights. Mm-hmm. Lifting weights is is enhancement, right? So this this gets down a road, and we don't have to go down this road. But I I just think it's important to bring up how complicated this issue actually is. And Steve, you and I have talked a lot about this because yeah. you have to ask the question. And you and you see the Olympics is constantly dealing with this. How far is too far? Mm-hmm. What is an accept? The fact is everybody's enhancing, uh, enhancement even wearing clothes, you know, and like we even shoes and whatever. Uh, or what you're running on, like enhancement, is just an inherent part of sports. Yeah. But the question constantly that has to be wrestled with is, what's the limits? How far is too far? Me wearing
2: a hat is an enhancement because you know my scalp gets cold and I need to keep it warm. So there you no, go. No, it's
1: it's not. Hey, let me throw <laughs> <laughs> let me throw out a different controversy real quick here. Uh, we could we could circle back to uh, the other one, uh, but. An interesting controversy as well is just what what do you even classify as a sport? I know that the Olympics this is constantly uh, under attack. Is you know is is such and such a sport? So I don't know if you guys know this, but there's five new sports that were added to the Olympics uh, this this year. One is a three on three basketball, BMX freestyle, karate. I, I was surprised by that one. I thought karate already was, but I guess that's. Uh, <laughs> Taekwondo perhaps yeah. was yeah. already in there. Uh, skateboarding is now an Olympic sport. Sport climbing and surfing. Oh, by the way, there was they're thinking about a seventh. By the way, Wes, nunchucks or ninja swords? They're not. They're <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm putting in my my uh, my application and ballot. <laughs> So, I think that my money's on you. I think you got a good chance at that one. I appreciate that. (laughs) When
2: I hear that list, what it reminds me of, you know, the Guinness World Book of Records. I mean, there are all kinds of things that people get, you know, these certificates for. So, uh, you may or may not have seen this one Chinese student, young fella, in probably in his puberty kind of thing he set a guinness world record by solving three rubik's cubes while juggling them right and so you and and i follow very
0: different sports um
2: (laughs) (laughs) we do um so you kind of have to wonder yeah what what counts as sports and really more broadly you have to ask you know what is human achievement what what does it mean for us to achieve something? And that may have all kinds of worldview implications because to achieve something, you're already assigning some kind of a value to it, right? And and what you value will have to depend on what your worldview is, right? So for example, in a worldview like Frederick Nietzsche's, I mean, he's just all about will to power, right? Just whoever's more powerful. And Hitler, as far as I understand, he was a Nietzschean. And so that's why he wanted to win the war against Stalin so bad, because as long as he won, he was in the right. That's a very mm-hmm. Nietzschean thinking. And so what what you assign value to in a Nietzschean worldview will look very different from a Christian worldview. Maybe it's not even about achievement, right? E- even even that's different. And so what is a sport? What is human achievement? These are some things that we'll have to think about.
0: And that's a really great point that brings it to sort of the uh, undergirding worldview issue, Steve. Uh, I think these are, you know, in the concept of, of moral and ethic, morals and ethics that we're talking about, you know, this is language that I think we can all agree on only makes sense when you are grounding it in something and even the question of like purpose and excellence uh, i think at the end of the day we have those virtues because we believe that you know we have intrinsic value and that these these achievements are are good to pursue there's a theology of the human body i was i thought it was interesting um Recently, because I was looking at the numbers of athletes who are competing from from various countries, the second most populous country in the world, India, has very few athletes. And thinking about that more, you realize there's a significant worldview difference there. There's a a dualistic idea because of you know the religious worldviews that come out of India, like like uh, Hinduism and Buddhism, that you don't pursue physical value because the physical is actually an illusion to a certain degree and even something very physical like yoga that's a spiritual pursuit in hinduism it's it's not a physical pursuit they're not necessarily trying to get more flexible there's almost a meditative spiritual component to it and even just a backtrack the athlete uh who was the the main character in the bollywood movie that i uh that i i starred in uh milka singh his coach in real life was a Christian missionary. And if you look into it, one of the the big driving forces behind him was this coach who had encouraged him that something like the physical excellence of winning a 400 meter was a good thing. But that didn't come out of his Sikhism. That came from the Western import of, at, at that time at least, of of a Judeo-Christian ethic. And so even a country that has so many people and so many, you know, uh, uh, so much funds that they could be putting into this, they don't necessarily because they have a completely different perspective on uh, what is the true and valuable to pursue in life in general.
1: That makes me think about, though, the Olympics origins and what sort of worldview would have been Guiding the Greeks to value uh the uh, the Olympics, the competition
0: yeah, well, I think there was an idea in in ancient uh greco-Roman culture that there was like a the best you you were striving to be the best, but that was limited. Uh, it was only men, and it was only men who had particular social status who who were able to pursue that. But there was sort of a a glorification of the human body within the ancient Greek culture, which is why you see, you know, statues of of the gods. Um, And the gods are, you know, these physical specimen, both male and female, but particularly male in those, the Renaissance sculptures by uh, guys like Michelangelo were heavily influenced by the ancient Greek statues of Apollo and of Neptune and of Saturn and the excellence. Now, now, guys like Michelangelo and um, and the the other Renaissance uh, painters and sculptors, they they kind of took a little bit more of a, a Christian spin on that. Um, when you read what they thought they were doing, but I don't think that there would have been a universal, you know, pursuit of the physical good in in ancient Greece and Rome with their Olympics that we see now. Even the fact that. I mean, there's a whole women's division now um, that that didn't exist, you know, in in ancient Greece. Uh, But I think there's an innate thing within the human psyche to pursue, you know, the furtherance of of anything, whether that's, you know, physical prowess or knowledge or whatever. I think it's part of the Imago Dei.
1: Yeah, I definitely see that because it's interesting to me, this might surprise people, but when you go to Greece, for example, in like Delphi, uh, there, they, there are still Olympic track and areas where they where they competed and where they trained. So it's it's interesting that this isn't like you know something you you read about that 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 happened. Like it's actually a pretty significant part of their culture, the competition. But I see I see what you're you're saying, Wes. That yeah, perhaps that that competitive desire. To pursue, you know, the limits of our humanity and excellence is is a part of, you know, human nature in the Imago day. But, but there are those Judeo Christian values that have expanded. It is, I think, what you're what you're what you're after that we see in the West. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, I think I think part of the Judeo Christian ethic that was significant in the the recreation of the modern day Olympics, um, borrowing sort of the skeleton from the ancient Olympics. It was filled out with, you know, the the muscle and and the meat and, and the organs um, and everything else by injecting it with a sense of, of excellence and purpose and, and virtue. And even as we've been talking about, you know, the moral component, you shouldn't cheat. Um, that we just all agree, you know, these, no matter where we put the, the goalpost for what cheating is, uh, there, there are rules that you shouldn't do that. And, you know, the listeners will, many of you will be familiar with, uh, Eric Liddell and his, um, you know, chariots of fire. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I, I run, I feel his pleasure. Uh, that's sort of the, the undergirding of a lot of the stuff we've been talking about is that you know we may deny the transcendent but at the end of the day our pursuit of the good of the virtuous even of the moral I think that speaks whether we deny it or not we you know as Paul says suppress that truth and righteousness. that's speaking to the fact that we do believe there's something more that sounds like a good place to stop So thanks for listening. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, and we'll be back next week with more things to think about.